0: Episode 59, The Call of Samuel. If I was to imagine the moment after the birth of Phineas, one of the sons of Eli, you almost have to see Eli and his wife discussing the greatness of their son and his destiny. Yes, he will be great. Yes, he will do great things like the ancestors of old, like another famous Levite, one of the most famous. Can't you see Eli dreaming with his wife? We can't pick Cora. That name is forever ruined. Can't use Aaron because the golden calf can't go there. What about Phineas, the warrior priest and peacemaker? What a great name and destiny for a child. That will be his name. Phineas will be your name, he said as he holds his child up high. Phineas will be your name. Jehovah is God, and you, my son, will be named Phineas. Phineas. Unfortunately, the destiny of Phinehas would be far from their great ancestor. He would be a complete disaster with his brother. They would be the end of the line of the priesthood under Eli. Another total failure in parenting in ancient Israel. There will be lots of them. 1 Samuel 2.12 Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Without going into the specifics of the sacrifice, it's clear that these sons of Eli were taking the best of the meat for themselves, and stealing from the Lord the sacrifice and offerings of the people. 1 Samuel 2 will spell out like a movie script. The evil of Phinehas and his brother Hophni will be explained in detail, and immediately afterward it speaks to the rising up in righteousness of God's anointed one, Samuel. Phineas and the sinfulness of the nation, followed by the righteousness of God and Samuel. It's amazing they coexisted at the same time and probably ate dinner together and possibly lived in the same place in Shiloh. The sin and evil increased while grace increased all the more. Sounds like a verse in Romans. Just as sin was manifesting itself in increasingly horrible forms, God's presence and grace was increasing all the more. God had an answer to the demonic increase in the land and the defilement of the priesthood. The grace is the growing authority and maturity of the sanctified Nazarite, Samuel, and the sin and the wickedness was manifesting itself in the form of Phinehas and Hophni. 1 Samuel 2.18 But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and brought it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The holiness of Samuel now followed by the increasing sin of the sons of Levi. 1 Samuel 2.22 Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And concluding the increasing of the anointed one, 1 Samuel 2, 26 And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. So take note here. Something was terribly wrong in Eli's house. His sons were as wicked as you get for a Levite. How could they have forgotten how Aaron's first two sons were killed for their sins in the wilderness? My take is that these two were so demonized they didn't care what they did. With each dark action, they were inviting themselves to be servants of the devil. And we know that the devil was all too pleased to have a Levite under his surface, desecrating the tabernacle daily. Each defilement of the sacrifices prevented the covering of the sins in Israel. The daily sacrifices were the temporary act of replacing sin, or of covering up of sin. This, of course, was replaced over a thousand years later with Jesus' perfect sacrifice. But in the Old Testament, at this moment, the sons of Levi were defiling the atonement for sins. The sins of Israel were not being properly atoned for by the blood sacrifices. So what's obvious here is that Eli didn't punish his sins or take away their privilege or imprison them. He just rebuked them. And most likely years and years too late, he finally rebukes them and pays attention to them. Way too late to make any difference in their lives. It's just too bad we don't get a glimpse of how they were raised to see what horrible mistakes Eli made. Did he neglect his children? Did he have a thousand wives? These were just a few of his kids. Was he a hypocrite? It's hard to know. We do know that he was incredibly overweight. So could it be he was self-indulgent and maybe he incorrectly ate of the sacrifices as well? We don't know for sure, but clearly Eli was at fault. For the next scene is God's judgment upon Eli, 1 Samuel two twenty-seven. Now a man came to Eli and said, "This is what the Lord says: Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence." also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house, so that no one in it will reach old age, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done in Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age." Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread, and plead, Appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Ouch! Eli's going down, and it's going to be fatal. He and his sons on the same day. His family would lose the priesthood and the serving of the Levitical responsibilities of it. And the man said, you know what, let's call him a prophet. The prophet said, God will raise up a faithful priest. And who's the faithful priest, you ask? The answer is Samuel. Interesting to see the parallel. God above time and space has Samuel already planned. Knowing these two would lose the anointing. Considering his entire calling and birth and crying out of his mother Hannah, it was God's design to have him ready to replace those two bozos when the time was right. Consider this one. Are you a Samuel? Has God been raising you up to replace some crazy guys who have stolen God's anointing and priesthood, who have been feasting on the goodness of God and stealing from him? And Consider this. As the wickedness increases around you, has God raised you up and prepared you as a counterbalance to that wickedness around you? It's an interesting perspective. Here's another interesting thought. Who is this man or say prophet, who delivered this message. It's a mystery. you got to love how nameless men or prophets jump in and out of the Bible to deliver their messages. It wasn't Samuel, because he'll deliver a message in the next account. It was someone else. Samson was alive at this time, but he wasn't a prophet. But he could have prophesied, why not? It could have been one of the minor judges, maybe, we just don't know. We'll have to just leave it at that. He was a nameless and faceless prophet. But actually, isn't that the best kind? Sometimes it's better not to know. Because then you look at a man and try to think about it too much. Better to be nameless and faceless like an angel of God was this man who delivered the word of God. The next scene is one of the greatest stories to tell young boys and girls about God. It teaches the concept of relationship. It's a story of a young boy, Samuel, and his calling. Most scholars have him around 10 years old, maybe to 12 years old at this point. I can't tell you how many times I've acted this skit out at bedtime with my children. It teaches boys and girls that they can speak to and listen to God, but most importantly, it teaches them to be quiet and to listen to the voice of God. It's quite important if you have small children. 1 Samuel 3, 1 The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare, and there was not many visions. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the house of the Lord where the ark was. All right. So dreams and visions were rare. Sounds kind of like a time period before the conception of Jesus. All through history, when there are long periods of rare spiritual encounters, it's almost like there's a building up of supernatural activity about to occur. The kingdom period in Samuel and David are about to burst onto the scene, and there's about to be an explosion of spiritual activity. Take note here, like Joshua, who stayed in the tent of meeting after Moses, what made Samuel was this, he slept in the house, same house as the ark of God. In the house of God, in the place, in the house of God's presence, Samuel was raised, tending to the needs of the ministry of God. I imagine, and I teach my children it this way, while Samuel was laying in bed, about to go to sleep, The following happens. 1 Samuel 3, 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli. Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lied down. So that's the first time he heard the voice. Go, Samuel. Most likely Eli hadn't taught him that God speaks yet. But it happens again. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Eli is old and tired and nearly blind. He's not interested in this little boy harassing him. But it happens a third time, 1 Samuel 3, 8. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. On the third time, Eli gets it. Boy, isn't he slow? He thought Hannah was drunk, and now he thinks Samuel is hearing voices. Eli, of course he is. He's in the house of God. It shows how long Eli has heard the voice himself. This time, though, he tells him to speak these beautiful words. I love his response. And when you hear the voice say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. ah, oh, isn't that amazing? Speak, Lord, for I am listening. Powerful, powerful, powerful. This time it states, Samuel had a visitation. Not just a word from God. Check it out. 1 Samuel 3.10 The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Ah, check it out. It says that the Lord, the Lord came and stood there. Where? There. (laughs) Calling as other times. The God above time and space just entered it to encounter his anointed one. It's hard to imagine Samuel actually speaking at this point but he did. Speak, Lord, for I am listening. Here's the conclusion of the scene, and what a gut check for Samuel and the testing of his faith. It's a rough go to ask this 10 to 12-year-old boy to prophesy just such a harsh word to begin his ministry, but this is the Old Testament, and even Jesus himself could not stand hypocrisy and false religious spirits. Here is Samuel's first prophecy, First Samuel three eleven. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, his sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli that the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with me ever so severely if you hide it from me, anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. To conclude this episode, I'd like to ask the audience a few questions. Have you listened to the voice of God in your life? Have you stilled yourself enough? Have you prayed this prayer? Speak, Lord, for I am listening. It's one of those most thrilling aspects of our walks with God, that the God of the universe, who's all-powerful, who can see everything and be everywhere at once, wants to talk with you and have a relationship with you. I've heard it said that God is always talking one way or the other, through a person, situation, through nature, through knowledge and teachings, through relationship. The question is, are we listening? We have to still ourselves and know God. Isn't that Psalms 46.10? Be still and know that I am God. There's an interesting story about Elijah after his crazy showdown on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 with the priest of Baal and the fire from heaven and the rainstorm after three years of drought. He outruns Ahab's chariot and Elijah goes a little crazy when Jezebel curses him and throws all kinds of witchcraft after him because 400 plus of her demonic priests were killed. Well, Elijah runs for his life mainly because he believes this lie that he's the only one left. And he was physically and spiritually tanked, I mean, completely exhausted. His body was broken. His body was on the brink of collapse, and he even considered suicide. But he managed to journey to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. In the scene in 1 Kings 19, Elijah talks to God. God told him to watch for him. A windstorm came, an earthquake, and great fire. But it said God was not in the wind, quake, or fire. But then Elijah heard a still, small voice. Just like Elijah here, God could have spoken in some amazing form, but instead he chose to reveal himself in that voice, in relationship, as he did with Samuel. It's the voice of relationship. It's the voice of a God who communes with his people and desires to love them and communicate with them. Part of an authentic walk with Jesus is speaking with God and praying to him and listening. Personally, I measure a Christian by his relationship with Jesus, not by his religious activity. If you told me you did a 40-day fast and you prayed eight hours a day, or that you chose to not eat some particular food group because it's in the law, my response would be, great, you did a really religious thing. But to the man or woman who says, I went on a walk with Jesus yesterday, my heart leaps to hear and to speak with he or she who has relationship with the God of the universe. For even Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. The religious activity comes from relationship, but relationship must come first. It must always come first. We are called to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. Love comes from relationship. Jesus desires relationship with his people. Set aside time in the day to listen to God who loves you and wants to speak to you. Still yourself and surrender your concerns and anxieties and worries to God and pray Samuel's famous prayer. Speak, Lord, for I am listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as the prophecy is fulfilled as Eli and his sons die on the same day and the Ark of the Covenant falls into the hands of the Philistines. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com.